0: All God's people say, <laughs> Amen. It's good to be here. I'm telling you what, I'm the size of a polar bear and I get cold. I can't imagine that. Where I come from, 30 degrees is about the coldest we experience. And when it's uh, 50 degrees, we think we're in a blizzard. Uh, we, uh, we, uh, we, uh, I picked tomatoes out of my garden several times on Christmas Day. Uh, We plant in February, we plant again in September, Uh, July to middle of September is miserably hot and um, I love the trees up here, beautiful, I'm telling you, first time I've ever been to South Dakota, beautiful, Uh, where I come from, trees are so few and far apart that woodpeckers pack lunches and uh, so it's great to see trees, I like trees. Y'all have any rattlesnakes up here, any rattlesnakes up here? Is it too cold for the rattlesnakes? They go south, huh? Well, we, you, you hear about those two snakes that was slithering up the road? Two snakes were slithering up the road and one snake looked over at the other snake and said, hey, are we venomous? The other snake said, no, why do you ask? He said, I just bit my lip. 2 <laughs> Samuel chapter 23, if you would. Second, I don't know why I'm fiddling with this thing. I've got this thing. I have never used one of these things. And uh, so we're teaching a new dog new tricks here, an old dog new tricks. And so if, if now nah, it's in the way. So I might pretend that this is the mic, but I, I guess you can hear me okay here. All right, all right. Second Samuel chapter twenty-three. If you're there, say Amen. Here we go. Now these be the last words of David. David the son of Jesse said, and the man who was raised up on high. The anointed of God of Jacob and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my in my tongue. The God of Israel said that the rock of Israel spake to me. He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. And he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining uh, uh, by clear shining after rain, although my house be not so with God, yet He hath made me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although He make it not to grow. I want you to look at the first part of verse five, it says, although my house be not so with God. Although my house be not so with God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I pray that you'll help me to say what needs to be said. Dear Father, we're not trying to be eloquent. We're just trying to be practical. Open up the Word of God. Let it open up us and reveal to us things that need to be confessed, forsaken, forgiven. And I pray, Father, that, um, that you will and that we would. And uh, Lord, when it's all said and done, we'll give you the glory and honor for everything. Father, I realize the extreme responsibility that I have standing before men of God and encouraging them in the way that they should go. And I pray, Father, that um, that we all might understand that we're in the same boat, uh, constantly working and focusing and refocusing on the things of God and allowing God to do the work through us. And thank You, Lord, for allowing us to be tools in Thine hands. And I pray that You'll bless. pray that You'll help me not say anything that I shouldn't say, but everything that I should say. I pray that you'll be with the listener, dear Father, that he, she would uh, be attuned uh, to the things being said, and allow the Holy Spirit to impress on their heart the things uh, that is necessary uh, for us to hear to grow in the the faith. I pray that your will be done. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Well, you know, when I was thinking about this meeting, and, and I've been praying about it for a year or so, and when Brother Ivan called up, and Asked me if I would come. I was very honored that he would do that. I've got some stories that I'm going to tell his church about him. But let me just tell you one of the stories that, that uh, Brother Ivan uh, about Brother Ivan, so you folks might know a little more about him. Okay. Now, when he was a teenager, he was about that tall. Okay, <laughs> and he was about that thin. And uh, we would we tried to we we would prepare these young folks for mission trips we would go places and go from church to church and in the church we had testimonies we had uh songs and scripture memorization all that stuff we put it all together i was influenced by brother lester roloff and the way he did a lot of things is the way i tried to do with our youth group and you just involve uh the scriptures and so a lot of times uh, i would say when a question was asked i would say what thus what does the bible say what saith the scriptures and we tried to put everything uh, upon the Word of God. And so, with Brother Ivan, you know, like I said, he's about that tall. He couldn't see over the pulpit. But I had him, um, I decided to try to get him to start preaching. I found out that he's as sharp, just as sharp as they come. Very, very sharp witted. Very, very sharp. Okay, his, daddy, his daddy's that way too. Uh, but this young man, he was very sharp at a young age. And when you looked at him, you thought he was about 10 years old, if, if that old. And he was a teenager. I guess what, about 15? And, but just this size, he looked, he looked quite young. And so when I'd get him to give a testimony or, or preach, uh, from various churches that we would go to, uh, we would have to get a little stand for him to step up on so that he could see over the pulpit. And then when he opened up, boy, he let it rip, potato chip. I mean, he was quick-witted. He had a good outline. And he preached his heart. He was loud. He was clear. And, um, you know, of of everybody that went through and and whatever they said, uh, it always seemed like the preachers would always draw their attention to Brother Ivan uh, because they didn't expect much and they got a whole lot more than they ever thought. And uh, he he did a real good job. But on these trips, it was back during the days that all of us guys could sleep in the same room. So we might have 10, 12 guys in in one motel room, Uh, we're trying to save some money and and get far on our trip. And uh, so uh, my, my my statement to the guys was, uh, the, the biggest and the smallest will have the same bed. I'm the biggest. Ivan's the smallest. Okay? All right, so we had our devotions. We prayed our last prayer. We told everybody they're going to go to purgatory if they don't shut up and go to sleep. And uh, we went to sleep. Three or four times in the night. I kid you not, I had to pick Ivan up off me and put him on his side of the bed. (laughs) Hugging me. The next morning, I told him and all of them about what he had done several times through the night. Just rolling over on me and hugging me and stuff like that. And so I decided that was the last time Ivan would ever sleep with me. In fact, that's the last time any guy has ever slept with me. But uh, I thought we'd have fun. And uh, so I, the next time he got to speak, I I got to tell that story how he just, you know, I had to pick him up and put him in his spot and people were laughing. So he stood up here and he says, folks, he said, this is the rest of the story. He had the biggest and he had the smallest in the same bed. And you know what that does to a mattress? (laughs) He said, all I did is roll downhill. Can't outsmart that little nitwit. (laughs) But we had a great time. All right, now, in your Bible, you don't go very far before you see how the the Lord has established the home. The home is all important. When I was a young preacher, and I'm not a young preacher anymore, I've been pastoring for 37, almost 38 years. I've been in the ministry for 40-something years now. I've seen a lot. I've seen a lot of burnouts. Uh, a lot of just nonsense. A lot of nonsense that nauseates God in the ministry. I've seen a lot of it. And um, the Lord has allowed me to see a lot of those things. And I remember as a young, impressionable preacher, hearing these old-timers stand up and, and uh, just encourage us in the things of God and what we need to do as preachers. And uh, if I called this preacher's name, you would know him. He's famous. And uh, this is what he said to us young preachers. He said, young preachers, you take care of God's business and God will take care of your business. Meaning you just go do the things of God and neglect your family if you need to because God will take care of it. And it sounded good the way he put it out there. And he talked about himself uh, making all these trips constantly and, and saying goodbye to his family and letting God take care of them. What's really sad is God didn't really do a good job with his family. What's really sad is the only child that he had turned out not to be such a good child. I knew of another preacher that had somewhat of a similar uh, idea, and he's a famous preacher too. And he had two boys, and one of them turned out to be a heathen. And the other one just was not a good Christian, but he was, he was saved. And uh, when we asked him in a questionnaire about his family, he would hang his head down low and say, I failed. You ever hear of the failings of Billy Sunday? Now, he's done some great things. But I'm telling you, if God has given you a wife and some children, He expects you to take care of business. He expects you to take care of, I believe, what is the most important ministry you have. And that's your family. If you neglect your family and they go wayward, then you've disqualified yourself for the ministry. There's a lot of preachers that don't understand it. You better take care of the home fires uh, or, or it'll burn you up if you don't. And take care of, uh, of, of of the family. And so tonight I want to talk about King David, and I want to talk about the heartbreak that he had. I want to talk about uh, the latter part of his life, and I want to say some things that that might uh, just help us to realize the priorities that we have that we ought to uh, we ought to be found faithful in. And I I believe the home is all important. All right, here we go. I want you to notice in verse 1 there, where it says, Now these be the last words of David. Did you know that sometime, somewhere, somehow, some way, the last thing you say will be the last thing you say? It might be a bad word. It may be a good word. It may be a happy word. It may be a sad word. It may be just a word in passing. But somewhere, somehow, someday, it's going to be your last word. Now, when I do funerals, I like to find out what you remember last about the person that died. And I usually say, what's the last thing you remember? And what do you think is going to be said about you? What do you think? You think you're going to say, well, they had an attitude and we had an attitude. We had words and then uh, God took him to heaven. Do you realize the spouse that lives with a thought like that? It's it's heartbreaking. I knew a, I knew a lady back home. Uh, she lost her husband at a young age. And um, she said, we had words that morning. He went off to work and he never came home. She said, now I've got to live with the fact that uh, I said some unkind things to my husband. He responded likewise. And uh, that, that's our last memories of each other. Well, someday, some, somewhere, somehow, something's going to be your last words. You know, our days are numbered. Some people have more days than others, but we've all got a, a number of days. And God knows when that time is. Our times are in the hands of God. Now, King David was expressing his heart with his last words. First, he started off by praising God. He stated that God raised him up on high. Did you notice that? He's just praising God. These are his last words, and he's praising God, and he stated that God raised him up on high. It was God who anointed him. It was. Uh, do you understand that uh, uh, because you're God's man that you're a special target to the devil? If he can get you to be a hypocrite in one way or the other... If He can get you uh, out of sorts uh, with God, uh, somebody's going to be influenced by that. Can I tell you probably who'll be the greatest influence when your walk with God is not straight and narrow? It's your family. You know who the hardest person the pastor is? It's your wife. You know why? She knows you. She knows your weaknesses, she knows your strengths. She knows when you stand up and say, folks, this is what we need to do, and she knows how inconsistent you are. I know how inconsistent I am. Many times that humbles my heart because I have to say before everybody, we're in the same boat, uh, rowing the same direction. I have issues with the flesh. Sometimes the flesh says things that it shouldn't say, does things that it shouldn't do, and Crosses forbidden lines as it shouldn't do. And I'm the pastor. And if, if the pastor can have problems, then everybody can have problems. But I believe that you're a special target for the devil. And I believe that uh, we need to understand that, that the devil is after leadership. Spiritual leaders are attacked by Satan to hinder their leadership. Satan doesn't want you or your church to succeed. He especially wants to mess up your family so your church can look at you and say well what's he talking about the family for his this is all messed up the devil doesn't want you to succeed he doesn't want lasting marriages and well-behaved kids and i believe that lasting marriages are possible and i believe that well-behaved kids are possible Do you know why we have rebels because we raise rebels your children are a product of your weaknesses and strengths, what you've allowed into their life. what you, There are things you say, now you, you can't do this and you can't do that, but you've allowed other things in their life and what you've allowed in their life will affect them. And it might affect their decisions on their spouse and it may affect uh, their children and your grandchildren eternally. I don't know about you. You can fail in your job and recover. You can fail in education and recover You can fail in talents and sports and recover, but if you fail with your family, you're going to be miserable. Now, I'm going to say something that I can't prove biblically, so you can let it go in one ear, out the other ear. But here's what I think. At the great white throne judgment, the great white throne judgment, I believe it's there. By the way, that's when the tears are wiped away. It's, it's, they said, well, there's no tears in heaven. I beg the difference. It hasn't been wiped away yet. But at the great white throne judgment, when God calls the dead out of hell, the great and small, and they stand before God, and they're looking in the grandstands at us, and they say, why didn't you tell me about Jesus Christ? And they're condemned to an eternal hellfire, and they're screaming, and, and, and as they're, they're condemned to that hellfire, and we're looking down, and blood's dripping from our hands. Can, can I ask you a question? What if some of that was some of our relatives? Our spouse? Our parents? Our brothers, our sisters, our co-workers, our schoolmates. Do you think you can enjoy eternity in heaven knowing that you could have possibly made the difference in their life? Could you enjoy the street of gold and all the wonderful things of heaven? Realizing that people are frying in a lake of fire? You think you can do that? I believe when He wipes away the tears, He erases some memories. It's as if you never existed. That person. It's as if in your mind. Now, this is not something I'm going to debate anybody with because I've already told you. It's, I can't prove it biblically. I, I just, As I read the Bible and I'm trying to look at everything, I'm thinking, how can I enjoy heaven knowing that maybe a grandchild or a, a, a brother or sister or a parent or somebody is frying in the lake? How can I just enjoy myself? I don't think I could. And as I realize that He wipes away tears, why is He wiping away tears? He's comforting the hearts of all of those who have blood on their hands, of seeing people get cast into the lake of fire. You can lose your job and recover, but you cannot lose your family. You've got to make that a high priority. The devil wants dysfunctional homes. David was anointed by God and raised up on high for God's glory. The devil doesn't take this lightly, but David continues. It was, it was God who honored him as the sweet psalmist of Israel. God gave him talent to write 73 of the 150 psalms. David said the Spirit of the Lord spoke by him and in his mouth, and it was God the Father and Christ the Rock who made him king. God's rules were simple. Two things. Rulers must be just and rulers must rule in the fear of God. That's what he said here. All right, now politically, that's correct. And it's also correct domestically in the home. The rulers must be just and rulers must rule in the fear of God. Why is it so many preachers' children have turned their hearts from the ministry? Oh, the ministry is too hard for them. No, 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 no. I've seen, I've seen kids with their parents go, go, go through a lot of stuff. Unnecessary stuff, heartaches. Uh, but they stay together as a family. And they eventually come out on top because they're found faithful in serving God. But I've seen preachers fall by the wayside Because of their families. Because they haven't walked the walk and talked at home. It only sounds good at church. And children can see the difference. David further praised the Lord in verse 4 for giving him hope. And he shall be as the light of morning when the sun rises. You've heard the phrase, if I can make it until daylight. Because daylight gives hope. Dark, dreary days with clouds can be depressing. However, cloudless days give hope. Tender grass springing up gives hope after the coldness of winter. David, with his last words, was giving God praise for blessing him. After giving God praise, look what he said in verse 5. After he's telling the greatness of God and what God has accomplished in his life, in verse 5 he says, although my house be not so with God. His household is not receiving the blessings that he has received. Something has miserably failed in his home. Although my house be not so with God. That's sad. That breaks my heart. If it can happen to David, it can happen to Tim Stowe. If it can happen to me, it can happen to you. If it can happen to you, it'll happen to others. You are a target of the devil and he's trying to destroy your home. And if he can effectively destroy your home, he's effectively destroyed your ministry. Who cares what you have to say if you can't handle matters, if you're a disaster in the home, you're going to be a disaster pastor. You've got to make that a high priority and ask God to lead you and guide you and give you the wisdom uh, to, to, uh, to lovingly lead the wife and the family. Not dictate. Lovingly Lead. David wanted God's blessings for his family. He wanted them to have what he had with God. We all want God's best for our children. I don't care if my children grow up to be dog catchers. It makes no difference to me as long as they're the best dog catcher they can be. As long as they're in the will and the way of God, that's all I care. I find no greater joy than to know that my children are walking in truth. That means the world to me. That validates our ministry. When people look at our kids, they say, "Well, I want what they have." See, people are a little silly. They think that good kids pop out good. They don't pop out good, ladies and gentlemen. They're made to be what they are, or they're allowed to be what they become. And so, what we've got to do is we've got to put uh, realize the responsibility that we have and address our responsibility and take it seriously and ask for wisdom from above and raise our children for the glory and honor of God. Then people will see that and they'll say, I want what you have. What you have is important for me to hear. you know when Enoch started walking with God? Read it. It's after he had a child. He felt the responsibility. The responsibility I think that man, when he realizes he's got a wife, he's got some responsibility. And if he never walked with God, he better start walking with God. And how sad it is when a woman becomes the spiritual leader of the home. Now, if the man's not going to be the spiritual leader, the children need somebody to lead them spiritually. And thank God for a willing wife that's willing to be that if her husband isn't. But the man of God ought to be. The man of God. We see that in verses 1 through 4. I will recap. David was raised on high. He was anointed by God. He was called the sweet psalmist of Israel. He was speaking on speaking terms with the Holy Spirit, God the Father, and Jesus the rock. David was used to be a blessing to others as light in the morning, as days without cloud, and as welcomed as green grass in the spring and then he says although my house be not so with God David was blessed and was a blessing to others however his house was not so with God God could not bless his family do you realize there's things in the Bible that we can do that will open up the windows of heaven and pour out blessing. And if God is blessing me, it'll be, it, my wife will benefit from it, my children will benefit from it. I cannot tell you how many times I, when my children were growing up, we had nothing. Zip, zero. I mean, it was, it's all we can do. And, 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 and God put something on my heart and I said, okay, I want you to look at this, kids. Now watch, this is just family secrets now. We're going to give this amount of money for this person. This is above our tithe, above our mission giving. And we're going to do this to try to be a blessing. And I, and I would say, now you watch when God returns the blessing. And I can connect the dots. You're going to hear about it. Boy, they held their breath. Until I said, look at here, kids, look what God has done. One of the blessings that I have with my children, they're good, they're good givers. They're exceptionally good givers. I wonder where they learned that from. Where's Wilma at? Wilma. Here she is. She's one of our, she's a full grown lady now, but she was one of our teenage girls. And she was reminding me of, of uh, taking them places on the mission trips, and we'd go into churches. And um, I was trying to teach them a lesson. And so, but I didn't say anything to them, but after services I'd say, How many of y'all gave an offering? And maybe one or two. And so many times I would, reach in my pocket, and I would give them 10 or $20 for the $1 that they gave in church. I'm going to tell you something. That spoke volumes to it. ex-Amish kids. You don't have to do it twice. You just do it once. They start giving after that. We taught our kids back home the same thing. Do you realize that when you teach your kids to be givers, God opens the windows of heaven and pours it out? Boy, if you just read your Bible, you'll find many ways that God will open up the heavens and pour you out blessings if you learn to do certain things. And you teach these things to your children. You want them to be blessed forever. But all David could say is, although my house be not so with God. Can God bless our home? Will God bless your home? Wouldn't you like for your family to be blessed more than you are? My son was uh, my youth director and he was filling the pulpit for me. I would have good, sincere people say, Preacher, your son's a better preacher than you are. And you know what I'd say? Hot dog. Yeah. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad to hear that. Where do you think he learned it from? <laughs> I started at level zero. He started in a preacher's home. We ought to expect our kids to be better Christians than we are. But why isn't it? Why is it that our children seem to be less Christian than we are, and their children less than they and their children less than they, when it ought to be just the opposite effect? Somebody has let the ball down. My wife and I had saved parents. But not a Christian home. We started ground zero with our children. We were not trained to walk and talk as Christians. What we learned, we learned in church. We learn with other mature Christians. I remember many times saying, "Boy, I want to be like that child of God. I want to be like that believer. I want to do. I want. I do, yeah, that's what I want to be." As a young husband, I would look and watch how. Uh, people would treat their wives, and I said, I want to develop that in my life too. And so I tried to treat my wife uh, that way. And then as parents, we watched uh, good parents and how they dealt with their kids, uh, both uh, in, in ways of discipline and ways of being a blessing and ways of being an example. You watch, and then you start implementing those things in your home. But proud people, oh, no, they can't learn from somebody else because a proud person thinks he knows it all. A proud person. By the way, that's another way you can teach your kids to get blessings from heaven. Teach them to be humble. You know, you got a child. And one of the issues that I had with Brother Ivan when he was young, he was so good and so witted, so smart, so he projects his voice. And, and like I said, he was always identified. Many times he was publicly identified with his, his skills and his talents and everything like that. My greatest fear for him was it would build his pride level, make him think he was somebody when He's just a piece of dirt like the rest of us. You know what? Being around Him here lately, I could see His humble, gracious heart. Thank you, Daddy. Children are going to be what you allow them to be. What parents are in moderation, children become in excess. So if you're humble in moderation, uh, they'll be less humble. If, you're, if you've got pride issues, they're going to have greater pride issues. What parents do in moderation, as children uh, do, in excess. Folks, there are just things we wouldn't do in the home or allow in the home simply because it would be a bad example to our children. We wanted to be found faithful when it comes to establishing a Christian home. You understand that the word Christian means Christ-like, right? Did you know that there's some lost people on the way to hell that's more Christ-like than some saved people we know? I have been hurt more often by saved people than by uh, hell-bound people. You know, I I would like to say I've never been a problem to my pastor. I've been an encouragement and a help to my pastor. I feel that uh, what goes around comes away. You know, you reap what you sow. And if you've been a horrible example to somebody, then something's going to turn around and be that for you. Wouldn't it be terrible? Spending all the time, all the effort, all the money for our kids to fall away from God. It would be a heartbreaker to say that God has been so good to me, although my house be not so with God. We've been faithful in our marriage. There's never been an issue there. There's never, she's never walked out on me. There's never me walking out on her. We don't talk and laugh about divorce. It's not a funny matter. Some people think, well, we just get a divorce. Ha 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 ha. Divorce has hurt more people. It's exactly what it is. It's a cuss word. It's just not to be thought of, not to be said. You have to work at a happy marriage. You have to work at it. You cannot take two different people from two different worlds, put them under one roof without friction sometime. Marriage was made in heaven, but so was lightning and thunder. God has blessed our marriage since we said I do at the altar. On July the 28th, 1979, eight days and 21 days after our uh, marriage, God gave us a little girl. We had to learn some things. I've never changed a diaper in my life. We had to learn some things about those. By the way, I learned real quickly how to take care of that. Uh, the child only had problems when mom went to the store. And so you, it's real easy to do. You turn the shower on and just keep turning her around and her, with her diaper on until it all falls off. And then you scoop a big thick towel and just rub her in that, and just hold her until mama gets home. Wife, he says, well now, oh, what about that mess in the, in the bathtub? So, well, um, <clears throat> that's, um, um, there's things outside I need to take care of. Folks, the greatest blessing I can to be to my children is to love their mother. The greatest blessing my wife can be to her kids is to love their daddy, and if our children see and feel and experience love between mom and dad in the home, that's all they know. It doesn't mean there's not going to be some friction here and there, but chase your wife around the house in front of the kids occasionally, and give her a big smooch. Them kids are grossed out. <clears throat> what they're looking, they're watching. You're an example to them. They ought to be... I've got a problem with anybody that won't... A man that won't chase his woman around the house and give her a kiss. we got a problem there. We're living... We're in a day and age that, that men and women don't do that much anymore. Men chase men and women chase women. We don't do that. We preach against that. Folks, I'm talking about having a faithful marriage and being faithful to the finish it is so sad to see people so much in love and then gradually grow apart 13 feet you know they've been social distancing uh, for a long time the older they get they don't hold hands they don't sit close together You know that tickles me when I see people in our church just close together. Well, I encourage that. As parents, I encourage that. I have told my son-in-law and I have told my daughter-in-law, it tickles my heart to see you cozy up to my child. I'm glad you love my child. I like seeing that you love my child. I like seeing people in church loving each other. One time a famous preacher was preaching uh, at a church, and he asked the pastor, he says, what about that couple back there? They're nearly sitting in each other's laps. What's, what's the story behind that? He said that was an interesting story. He said the wife grew so wicked that one day she decided she was going to leave her husband and kids. And so she decided she'd just go to California and be everything that she ever thought she wanted to be. She'd come a long way. She's going to, she's going to be that, that modern woman. Well, she found out that there's there's lots of heartaches and pains along the way. And she found out that uh, uh, she was abused, misused, and and and, and it just it's a sad, sad situation. She called her husband up. She said, "I'm about to commit suicide. What do I do?" And he said, "Come back to the place you got off track." Came back to the place. She knocked on her own door. He answered the door. She was down on her knees. She said, Can you forgive me? He said, You're forgiven. He said, You're my wife. You will always be my wife. And the preacher told the visiting preacher, He says, This is the result of a couple that one went away and she was forgiven for all her deep. Wretched sin. And the husband never brought it up. Never held it against her. And he just loved her all the way. There ought to be some Hoseas and Gomers. There needs to be that in our churches. We need to encourage that amongst our people. There's too many unmarried people acting like they're married. And there's too many married people acting like they're unmarried. We need to be found faithful. Lastly, in Jude chapter one and verse twenty-two, the Bible says, "And of some, having have compassion, making a difference; having compassion, making a difference." I think that that ought to be something that we're found faithful in doing constantly. Having compassion. Making a difference. Well, how do you have compassion? You just try to feel the pain that the other person's going through. You don't look at them and say, well, you messed up. Uh, You you made your bed, now lie in it. You messed up. I wouldn't do that. (laughs) You better be careful. Having compassion making a difference. I believe that makes a difference in lost people getting saved. I believe that makes a difference in wrong people getting right. I believe that makes a difference in the home. Is when the wife can have uh, open arm compassion to her husband, and the husband have open arm compassion to the wife, and the parents can have open arm compassion to the children and feel their their burdens and 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 rejoice when they rejoice and weep when they weep and and feel something. That's all it takes. You know. Last night and today, as I was talking, to the father and son. Several times they were talking about different things and what God has done in their life. And the tears swelled up. Brother Ivan was talking about his sweet wife. He got so emotional he couldn't talk. Some of the pains that she's had to go through. I felt his burden. I felt his compassion. Daddy Yoder, Where would we be had this not happened? That not happen. Where would we be? And the tears well up. Having compassion. Well, that makes all the difference in the world. God said if there's a group in the world that ought to be compassionate, it ought to be God's people. And we ought to be easy to forgive. Too often we harbor bitterness. You know how to get rid of bitterness? You confess it. You know, confessing your sin is easy to do. You confess it, God forgives. But it's staying right with God that requires work. Getting right is easy. Staying right requires work. Getting right with each other is easy. You can do that. Staying right with each other requires something. Are you willing to give what it takes? Are you willing to be that person that will establish the home so that God can establish you in the ministry and you can do great and glorious things for the cause of Christ? As a result of having a family united, standing together, being faithful to the finish. Won't that be wonderful? Let's every head be bowed, please. While every head is bowed and every eye is closed. Father, I thank You, Lord, for this time.